I am your host, Stephen, and you are listening to the Learn Swift podcast, where beginners to the Swift language share their background, experiences, lessons learned, and ambitions. On today's episode, I interview Greg Shidwa. Greg is a reporting manager for a bank in Ireland who is currently working on a recipe and meal planning app that he hopes to release into the App Store. Hey, Greg, welcome to the show. Hey, Stephen. Thanks for having me. Uh, how are you doing today? I'm doing very good. Um, just a lazy Sunday. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, spent the last few days trying to, to fight auto layout in the new Xcode and just gave up a few, recently. A few Uh-oh. Ago. What, what, kind of, what kind of problems are you having with auto layout? Um, well, I don't know if it's just me or is this a general problem? I, I've been trying to find out on Stack Overflow and so on. But um, whenever I try to, um, I have a, I have a table view and a collection view in one in, in one storyboard. And whenever I try to um, put them in a stack view, it just falls apart and the auto layout engine crashes. So everything kind of goes all over the place. And then I have to manually put it in place. And I'm trying huh. to avoid using fixed constraints. Right. Um, and it's have all because. About... Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. It's all because I, iPhone 10, because I was trying to make it fit into the wider space. It was all fine before that. Okay. Have you tried using uh, container views? Have you looked into that? Um, I have, but I, it, it'll probably end up being the solution I go for, but I've been sort of trying to uh, avoid this. It's because I have um, the collection view is actually a calendar and it swipes left to right and the table okay. view slides right stop to bottom. So if I have a container view, then that has its own scrolling direction and then right. the whole thing like scrolls independently and just goes crazy. Okay, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I feel you there. Okay. So what's your background? Um, well, so by education, I'm an ancient linguist. So I have a degree in Latin and Greek. And oh, I've wow. um, always been sort of working with languages. And I, I like the sort of structure that languages give you. Um, so... That's what I did in, in college, and I have my degree in that. And then after that, the, the lovely uh, recession hit um, eight years ago. So you couldn't mm-hmm. find a job anywhere, especially with, with my degree. So I went into, um, it started off as a banking job. So I was like a teller at the bank. Oh, okay. And then I moved up into reporting and sort of data structures and stuff like that. Um, did that for about two years. And then I started working in a call center as a scheduler. So essentially just assigning different types of schedules to different skilled types of skilled agents and working with um, filling time slots and so on. So a lot of sort of um, working with statistics because it, like you had models and seasonality and stuff like that that you had to follow. And after that, I switched jobs, uh, worked for a different company, and I used to develop forecasts based on statistical data. So I looked at the statistical data and said, well, this is what... Based on this, this is what's going to happen in the next three months. And um, just recently, I've been promoted to reporting manager at that job. And I'm looking after all the reporting done um, for uh, customer operations. So essentially, new customers who come in, new sales, and then the calls and you know troubleshooting, stuff like that. And I'll, I oversee building the data structures. And we're switching to a new um, reporting platform. So I make sure that our requirements are met. But it's all really nitty gritty. I know it sounds very kind of up in there in the clouds, uh, but when it comes to it, it's literally just looking at at raw data and making sure that it's what you want. Right. So, do you use anything? Do you, uh, I don't know how it's SAS. Do you or, or SAS? I'm not SAS. exactly sure. Uh, no, no, no. So uh, we we, uh, we we skipped the sort of SAS phase in businesses. So when okay. the, the company I work for is the uh, incumbent uh, telco com- uh, company, so they've been here for ninety years, and they had a lot of old systems that never went into the internet age. Oh, and then okay. they're kind of slowly moving into the new data structures, building databases and so on. That's been happening for the past, I think, 10 years. Um, so we skipped the sort of um, SaaS uh, phase. Now we're moving into the cloud. Okay. Um, um, but I'll, yeah, go on. Oh, no, no, no. You go ahead. Um, so, um, yeah, so, so essentially... That's my background. Um, but as I was going along from, you know, living, leaving college to going working in a bank and then and, and now uh, as a reporting manager, there's always been data I needed to deal with mm-hmm. and a lot of numbers and stuff like that. Whereas I'm, I'm good with maths, like I can do a lot of calculations in my head. Uh, but if there's a lot of them, I'd rather 
uh, spend two weeks writing some scripts that'll do it for me. So in Excel or SQL, and then rather than having to do it every day for an hour, because eventually I'll save time. Um, so I started with VBA. I don't know if you're familiar with this. Yeah, yeah, basic. yeah. Yep, yep. I've, I've used Excel quite a bit. I do a lot of reporting myself for, uh, I'm an inventory manager. So I actually, oh, very good. I do a lot of, um, I, I mostly set it up once. It's a report. It pulls, it's, it's a, it uses a, a ODBC driver, connects mm -hmm. to our SQL database, and then it'll pull up uh, our, our live uh, stock figures and whatnot. And then I have I've got a few things that calculate uh, reorder points, um, uh, reorder points, minimum stock, maximum stock, uh, and then average lead time. And then I have uh, the the standard deviations for those usages and whatnot. Um, but the I found that the standard deviation wasn't really that great uh, of mm. a of a metric to use for purchasing at this particular company because we do a lot of custom stuff. So we might be using a particular item for a while and then we don't use it anymore because the customer just doesn't want that type of item anymore. Or maybe we don't have that customer's business anymore. So mm -hmm. then it, it's not very helpful whenever the, the, I, I tried, I tried drilling it down to a more, uh, to a shorter, um, time span, like to daily uh -huh. standard deviation, which was bad. And then I even went up further to, I think the highest I went was, monthly i tried to do weekly which was kind of hard to uh calculate but with, with how sporadic the the actual material usage is it it didn't really help out that much so i had to more or less go to uh means as far as calculating a lot of the a lot of the items and then marking anything that starts to see a decline in usage yeah, yeah yeah i know exactly what you mean yeah yeah it's a um, it's a mess <laughs> well it's See, but that's the beauty of, of sort of data structures because you understand it and nobody else does. So then you just kind of go and explain what you need to and, and um, kind of they leave the nitty gritty to you, whereas you kind of, you have the control of how it's shown and presented. So as, as it means, um, I'm not a fan of them because uh, they, they excuse a lot of sins because it's very easy to lose uh, data points if you're looking at the mean. So I... I I I usually um, try to kind of stay away from those if I have to. It's a very high level view, but you know I need to sort of uh, dive into the um, actual even daily or or uh, every fifteen minute wise interactions. Uh, oh, wow. Okay. So it's it's not like in the grand scale of, of of things, it's similar to inventory if you think about it, because it's items coming in and then items coming out and then your availability and so on. But depending on how big the data set is you might want to be looking at the different levels of, of aggregation. So like in your case means, but in my case, I'm literally looking at the average for 15 minutes on a day um, and so on. But, um, so yeah, so the VBA, um, I've, uh, that was when I was working with, uh, with the scheduling, I found this very sort of tiresome having to go in and manually do all the reports and it's always been the same names and it's always the same, you know, seven days a week. And then, then, 50 weeks 52 weeks a year so there's there's a pattern there that you can use so i wrote a few scripts that essentially just run all the reports and it was uh, through an odbc connection as well so we had a okay. uh, we had a reporting server and, and i just queried it and, and got all the data i needed then pulled it down and had excel work it out so kind of shaved off about three hours of, of reporting every morning just to do a you know leave my computer for half an hour and, and turn out uh, churn out the report. VBA kind of gave me the, the um, Scotty from Star Trek Panache because essentially you know how long that report takes if you have to do it manually and you know oh, it'll take three four hours but you never mm -hmm. tell them you've written a script so then you get two and a half hours out of it <laughs> yourself. Well you know it's it's it, it's helpful and that's what I think about programming uh, in general it's because you know it's there to make your life easier. Um, you, you don't have to use this. You can do all those things yourself, but why waste your time? You can be doing something else at that time. Um, right. well, the, the program does what you need. Right. Um, so I want to, I want to, I want to go back a little bit. So you said you have a degree in ancient languages, correct? Yeah. Is, is that, okay. So what led you to want to pursue that and what kind of were you thinking about a career? Cause I've never, I've never even, I mean, I know people do study ancient languages. 
I don't know that I've ever specifically heard of somebody's degree being in that. What were you wanting to do after college? Well, my plan was to uh, go into academia and just basically teach. Um, but because of the economic downturn, that path was just completely gone because nobody was hiring. And, that you know, there's a lot of people like in my class, there's 30 people with the same degree. And there's only so many universities that actually have a vacancy in that, you know. Right. Were you, were, did you go to school in Ireland as well? No, no. So I've, with languages, I've, I've taught myself English when I was around six or seven, watching cartoons on Cartoon Network. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah, so I was, I was born in Poland and I've only come to Ireland when I was 18. So I started with English when, like, I wasn't actively learning it. I was just watching cartoons. And because it was in English, I kind of, the more I was watching it, the more I learned. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I went to school. So at the time, and the part of Poland that I was from, um, English wasn't taught in schools because it wasn't considered to be um, important enough. We had German and Russian. So, like, okay. you know, but because I was near the German border, German made sense and Russian, well, you know. They're always going to mm-hmm. invade at some point. So um, there, there's there's always this sort of kind of um, uh, rationale between b- behind learning language, like depending on where you are in a big country. Like I imagine right. down south in, in, in the US, you'd be learning Spanish more than French. Oh, um, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I, I, yeah. Every it's I know it's I don't know about other like we didn't I don't even think we had. We had French available in high school. To mm. we had to take uh, two years of foreign language, but everybody just took Spanish because it just made more sense. Yeah. So um, I only started learning officially, like through through um, schools, learning English when I was in secondary school, so around thirteen. Okay. And then I picked up French at that time because I I could speak English pretty fluently, so I started learning French. And then three years later, in this like. The, the schools in Poland, like you've got a, a first secondary school and a second secondary school, depending on how you do it in the first three years. So you either go to trade or to education, like for okay. education. So that in the third part, I started learning Latin because I, uh, at the time, I was in a massive Lord of the Rings um, uh, phase, and I read okay. everything that Tolkien has had um, written and and you know the, the languages he constructed and that he was a, a, a ancient linguist as well and you know i learned his uh, i read his essays on on languages and he actually had like handbooks for learning latin and so on so i kind of picked it up from there oh, wow. um so i learned latin in my uh, the last three years and i went to college um i came to ireland to go to college and applied it, the whole degree was called um greek and roman civilizations and then here you have to take two subjects. So I did French as my secondary subject because that was kind of, well, I spoke French and it was mm-hmm. as an easy subject because I was only going to focus on the ancient classics. Okay. Um, so did three years of that and graduated. Um, and then I planned to, uh, to, to go into academia, like I said, but the recession happened and needed to find a job. So I went over to UK for a few months and, oh. uh, and uh, worked there at the bank. So what led you to programming in Swift and looking at uh, iOS? Well, uh, originally, so I don't know how, if you know Ubuntu, the Linux um, mm-hmm. flavor. Yeah, yeah I'm, f- I'm familiar, yeah. I used to run uh, Ubuntu on my netbook. Yeah, so uh, about 12 years ago, where they kind of went more public than, than previous, I um, downloaded Ubuntu 6.06, I think. It was Dapper Drake. Um and I, um, I ran it, and I do Ubuntu with my XP machine, but because I have a weird internet connection, I could never get, like, I had internet on Windows, but I didn't have it on Ubuntu until I compiled something to get it running. So I literally yep. had to go on Windows, <laughs> like, push it on the pen drive, then put it on, on Unix and compile it, and then get a list of requirements, and then go mm. on Windows, download them, and yep. put them back in, and so on. So after, like, a week <laughs> of doing that... I figured out to write a script because I, every every time I turned it on, I had to compile this this file because otherwise the internet wouldn't work. So I wrote mm. a script to do this every time I boot it up, and that was like the first program I've ever written, and that was in Bash. Um, so from then on, I kind of I've always had some version of Linux dual booting with Windows. So if, uh, it was I went through a phase with um, Arch Linux. It's it's a, it's a dark time, but. <laughs> <But>, um, <laughs> Then I kind of gave up on Ubuntu about 
five years ago because it just refused to work with some of the uh, hardware I had. And I was like, well, that's it. I don't care anymore. And I started looking at um, OS X. And okay. at the time, I had a, I had a little Packard Bell. And it so happened that it had the same in the processor and motherboard that the MacBooks at the time had. Okay. So I was able to put a Hackintosh on it and basically oh. just run OS X on not Apple hardware. Although, mm-hmm. you know, uh, uh, d- 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 don't tell Apple. And, <laughs> I don't um, think they listen to my podcast, so that's okay. <laughs> um, and then from then on, I, it was it was literally like Ubuntu. The, the shell, it uses the exact same shell as Ubuntu, so I already knew the back end of it. And mm-hmm. I liked how the sort of polish and luster on it. And that was the first time I downloaded Xcode as well. And I started playing with it. And I said, oh, well. Because I think it was the year, it was the, year the iPad came out. Was that okay. 2010, I think? Yeah, I'm not sure on the on the, yeah. on the time on that. But yeah, I'll, I'll take your word for it. <laughs> yeah, and it was because I remember watching the iPad uh, event on uh, in Safari. Because like a few days earlier, I, I finally set it up. And okay. then I was like, oh, maybe it'll be cool to make an app for that. And I started looking into it, how to do it and, and everything. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know if, if you looked into iOS development before Swift, but the first thing I've noticed was um, Objective-C. And I was like, no, just no, <laughs> because it made no sense. No, I don't. I, I never really started looking into it before then, because I always thought it, you had to be a genius to to write uh, anything, because I had tried programming when I was mm. 15 and around 15 um and back then uh this is i want to say is around two i don't know 2000 early 2000s so there wasn't really a lot of resources online definitely not like there is now Mm. and it it didn't seem very approachable to me because i you know i'd hit a wall like not long after learning hello world i i'd sit there with like the c plus plus book and it i just it I, i didn't even grasp it it was it was it was too much, and then there, it was you know it was this dry textbook, so there's not anybody really saying like, oh, think of it like this. It's just like matter of factly saying this is this is what this is, and I'm like, okay, I don't know what that even means. So yeah. I just kind of gave up on it until I started working with like VBA and Excel, and then I was like, oh, hey, maybe this is what programming's actually like. Yeah, exactly. So. Um... But, but with Objective C, what I found um, was that I couldn't understand anything because okay, I, I figure out well the string and integers and and doubles and so on. I could understand the name of the classes and and the data types and so on, but how they interacted and just just visually, it looked like gibberish. Like the way it's the the, the syntax, it just makes no sense. And now that I understand Swift. I go at, you know, because sometimes you go on Stack Overflow and you'll see someone put an answer in, in Objective-C. I can mm-hmm. figure it out and translate it into Swift. But before, I couldn't even know where to start with it. Right. Yeah, um, very, the, the syntax is very um, very confusing to look at. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so at that point, I was like, ah, no, I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna touch this. It's too complex. And uh, I started dual booting Ubuntu again. So, well, no, triple booting. So I had OS X Windows and Ubuntu at the same time. When did you decide to start tackling iOS programming again? Did you hear about Swift and think, hey, this is maybe something I want to look back into? Or yep. Okay. So I was um, about, I think, 2005, um, I was, again, going through my little um, affair with Ubuntu. And I was like, oh, well, this looks great. And you can do this and that. And then I, after five months, I got a bit fed up. And I went online. And because Swift was, at that time, they've announced it's going open source. So it kind of popped up on the sort of news sites that I read. Um, because about being Ubuntu, I was all open source and everything. And you know, everybody has rights to, to the code and so on. And then Swift popped up and was like, well, this doesn't sound like Apple. And I started looking into that and reading it. That's at the point I think Swift 2 just came out. And it was a bit too immature still to use. Uh, it was a bit complex. But I started reading about it and, you know, oh, maybe one day I'll, I'll, I'll build an app. But at the time, I didn't have an iPhone. I had an iPhone before that and then I switched to Android again. Um, and then I think iPhone, I want to say 4S. Came out. Oh no, it was before 4s. No, it was uh, iPhone 5 came out, and I got the iPhone 4s, and I said, "Well, sure, I'll, I'll try this." So I downloaded Xcode, started playing with it, 
um, did a few, you know, the, the easy apps where you kind of have buttons, like it's it's like an arcade uh, arcade shooter where you just have two buttons and then there's a dot moving at, at the top of the screen and you just press them and try to hit the dot. So I played a bit with that and then kind of um, left it for, for a few few months and I think it was December the same year uh, where I had an idea for an app and I said, well, that'd be interesting to do. And it was just a, a simple thing to kind of track your expenses because, you know, I was trying to keep it on top of my budget and so on. So I was like, okay, well, that, that's grand. So I, I started looking into this. I started doing the Apple um, Get Straight Into Coding um, tutorial on their website. Uh, yeah, I don't know if you've seen this. It's just essentially building a, a small um, I've never photo seen it, album. actually. I've never seen it. Yeah, so it just walks you through the steps of essentially how to use Xcode and how to use storyboards and you know ID outlets and so on. And, uh, and I did that and I built that. And I was like, well, this, I know how to use Xcode now, but I don't know how to use Swift. It didn't teach me anything about Swift because it gave me the, the code snippets, right? So I went, I, I started looking around and I found Udemy and uh, a few courses there. And I subscribed to um, Mark Price from DevSlopes. Yep, yep. And that was his iOS 9 course. And I did that um, up until I think I did two-thirds of it, and iOS 10 was announced, so he announces iOS 10 course, so I kind of uh, jumped onto that. Okay. I did all the sort of core stuff of it, you know, when you build the apps. Have you done any of those courses? Yeah, I have. I've done the majority of the iOS 10 course. Um, I started with a Nick Walter course on, on Udemy, mm. um, which was which was okay. Um, I, would, I would say it is a good introduction to just Xcode and swift basics in general i think it was a nice way to ease me into it um but i found mark price's uh ios 10 course to be a bit better i think he goes a little bit more into the language yeah. than nick walter does um like i want to say that he explains a bit more academically as well like not not a whole lot i, I wouldn't say he gets too academic with it but he will explain like the concepts behind things after you run through it, like, Hey, this is why this is like that. And he, you know, he teaches you about polymorphism and inheritance and whatnot. The only thing I wish they would have done is gone more into the special Swift stuff. Like they don't do a whole lot with protocols. They don't do a whole lot with structs, you know, everything yeah. is mostly class-based and whatnot. But, uh, I think that they, they do hit all the iOS uh, core frameworks that you, that you typically use or, tools or whatever you want to call it, like all your mm. collection views, table views, um, uh, URL sessions and, and whatnot. Um, I thought, I think is a good foundation. I don't know about going to professional levels like they, they call it like iOS yeah. to professional, but I think it definitely is a good starting point to give you a nice basis to kind of go off on your own and figure out what else you want to learn or what you really want to build. I do, I do think, and he makes it a lot, uh, very approachable, I guess you could say. And, yeah. You know, he kind of throws in his jokes and whatnot, you know, kind of makes it not, it's not dry at all. It's a very interesting course, I think. And but I didn't do any of the Firebase stuff. I kind of got tired of Firebase. Okay. That's interesting. Um, so I did, yeah, I, I know what you, exactly what you mean when, when it's kind of more approachable because I, I did the Apple course and it was very sort of matter of uh, matter of factly where you kind of go, well, this is this is what my outlet is and you put this code in here and it does that and it's like okay, fair enough. But like, why why does that piece of code do this? Like, what what's in the in that class that makes it do this? And what I found with Mark Price is that he actually explains that well, you know, this is what that class is. It comes from UIKit or Foundation, and this is what what con what's contained in it and all the like table views are I can understand table views only because I did his um, course because the way he explained it and you know how you, you table views have about what about maybe 20, 20 different methods you only need three and sometimes four and once you have that you're set and you can do whatever like fancy table views you want and you can um, I don't know if you've ever done a static table view so not the one that updates um, as you scroll it's just like in your settings app. For the life of me, I was trying to figure this out. For the life of me, I couldn't figure out how to have different number of cells in different um, sections. And then I did his, uh, I, I, this was before I started the course. And then he just 
made an offhand comment in one of his courses that, oh yeah, and if you wanted to do that, you do this. It wasn't even the subject of the uh, class, but he, you know, out of nowhere, he just remembered it and said it, and it's like, oh well, that that kind of ran somewhere for me, and I went back to that project from from a few weeks back and finished it. Um, so that's what I like about it. Now it's not that formal, and well, it is sort of structured, but still. He, like you said, he'll he'll explain it a bit better and and more approachably. I don't know if you heard about him, Sean Allen, on YouTube. I started following his uh, videos. I've heard a little bit about him. I think actually mm. one of uh, one of the I believe it was it's either Mark Alpont or Opont or Jay mm. Mutsafi on one of the previous episodes. I had mentioned Sean Allen. I believe. Yeah, I think and it was I Mark. Okay, yeah, I had dropped a I had dropped a link in the show notes. I hadn't actually had a chance to look at his stuff yet. Yeah, so I, I started following him, and you know, there's a lot of kind of vlogging and you know, not to be insensitive with stuff I don't care about at the moment when I'm looking for a for a quick way of fixing the problem I have. Uh, but I like the sort of process he has, and something uh, a hint that that I picked up from him is I started listening to a lot of um, Swift related podcasts or just programming related podcasts. Um, and then reading stuff on like medium from swift developers because even though i don't understand the 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 core concept that they might be talking about the way they're explaining it it kind of helps you immerse yourself in the language and you might not understand it now but a few months down the line when you're trying to figure something out you'll see a method that they mentioned and it'll click with you yeah well i mean i would i would kind of you said that you learned to speak english by watching cartoons, I mean, you pretty yeah. much emerged yourself. Like, you didn't know English, but then you came out knowing English, essentially, from watching exactly, cartoons. Yeah. Pretty much the same thing, I, I imagine. I, I do I do the same thing. Um, there was one, it doesn't run anymore because the one of the hosts had got hired by Apple, so he can't have yeah. an Apple-related podcast. It was called, I think it was Runtime. And they, oh, they yeah. would go and, yeah, I, I, liked, I liked Runtime quite a bit, and pretty sure that's what it was called. But he had gotten hired by Apple. But yeah, they talked about like half the time when I would listen to them talk, it was all going over my head. But like occasionally, like I'd go back through to something else that I was reading. I'm like, oh, hey, that's what they were talking about on runtime. Mm. Oh, exactly. Yeah. And this happened to me recently. So you said you gave up on Firebase. Uh, My first sort of big app that I did, the expense tracker, I did it all in core data because for some inexplicable reason, persistence isn't a thing that apps do unless you actually have a proper data structure. Right. Um, so I don't know if you've come up to, against this hurdle. If you want like data to be held on your device between app launches, you actually mm-hmm. have to implement either core data or any other persistent system. So I started yeah. with core data. And um, because I have a background in data structures, it was like, oh, yeah, no, this is this is grand. Like, I'll, I'll bang it out in one day and I'll be done. Right. <laughs> so I had the data model perfectly. But trying to understand the different ways of the data persisting and pushing it to the model, that was just over my head. And I spent about two or three months trying to figure this out. And eventually I did. And, you know, I set it up and everything because... Um, that that app was essentially one big table and you have to filter t- based on type. And then what happens if the user tr- does a double filter? So filters for this and that and well, but those filters are mutually exclusive. That can work. And then, you know, th- I started, I, I started sort of going down the spiral of there's something wrong with the data model rather than, well, maybe I can write this in the code in a way that doesn't make it uh, crash. So I was trying to fix the data model, which was fine, rather than understanding the code because it was just easier for me to work with the data model because I knew it than trying to understand this behemoth of, of core data and, and the different persistent models. So um, after a, a very fiery romance with core data, I gave up and I switched to Firebase, which I found is more, uh, much more approachable. But it definitely is. Yes, but what, what what I don't like is that that data goes straight to the cloud and then it, it's a JSON file and everything. That, that's grand. But you only need one command somewhere in your app that you forgot to fix that will break the whole model. And I, I'm terrified of it. I'm like Just recently, I'm just kind of going through uh, through the uh, code and, and the, the recipe app, the meals app, and trying to make sure that I don't have any calls to the database 
because I've been changing the database as I was going along. So I'm, I want to make sure that there's no calls to the database from the older model, because if I do, it'll save it. And then the whole tree, I don't know if you work with JSON trees, um, but the whole tree will be different. And it's it's that kind of, I, I find myself that if I don't understand something, rather than trying to fix it, I'll just go into the stuff that I know, which is data models or or whatever that that I already have a good grasp on and, and kind of fixate on that and try to fix that where the problem isn't there. Yes, so data models though, um, and, and with Firebase, I think I've learned so much Swift just by trying to implement databases, uh, and sorry, not databases, Firebase, because um, I don't know if you've worked a lot with Firebase, but they use closures, and um, which is essentially just a, 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 a chunk of code that runs independently of the rest of the code, and everything needs to happen there and then, and it doesn't pass anything outside of, of itself, right? So you can't pass data outside of it directly into your code. And Right, so like that that's when, um, it's been a while since I messed with Firebase, but I think like um, the closure will run like, it'll be for something like value did change or I forget exactly what it is, Yeah. but then it'll run that closure that you have, correct? Yes. And yeah, then yeah, whatever yeah. happens in that closure never leaves. So essentially it, it happens in the closure, your app forgets about it and just goes to the database and then it's stored in the database. Um, but it took me the longest time to figure this out because I couldn't understand why I'm calling this variable that I, declared globally i declared it as empty not even nil and then i put it into disclosure and i know it assigned something in the closure because i can see it in the database but when then when i access it again outside of the closure it's still empty and once i started digging into that i kind of stopped working on my app for a while um and then looked into that and and kind of came back saying oh well this is what closures look like and now i have closures everywhere because right. they're so amazing <laughs> do you know what i yeah. mean yeah they are yeah, it took um, me a while to it took me a while to get my head wrapped around closures. Like I just didn't, uh, I I under I understood the basic concept of them, didn't really yeah. understand uh, when and where to use them, or and you know most most of the time I don't typically write my own functions that take closures. Mm -hmm. You know, I use a lot of functions that use closures. Yeah, right? like, like yeah methods. I guess you could say like map and reduced a lot, lot of stuff like that. Um, exactly. Any, yeah. 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 Those, those are a lot of fun. I felt like, uh, once those clicked, I felt like, Oh man, I feel so smart right now. And this looks so beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. This and looks then, so amazing. <laughs> and, that's, and then everything you do, like the, the, the simplest table cell will have like, Oh, you need a closure there. Cause otherwise it'll just look wrong. Um, but see, that's how I learned. Like I'll, I'll find something that's, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I, I understand the general gist of the code and then I'll find something that doesn't work just how, to, how I expect and I'll start looking into it. And then when I was, start, when I was looking at closures, I started looking at enum, enums because I've never, I, I knew they existed. I still don't kind of understand them and I've never used them and I still don't use them, but I was kind of working that way. And then I started looking at structs and I was like, I had so many classes in my code and there was like, not, I think out of 20 classes I had for users and different types of recipes and cookbooks and so on, like I had them structurally um, um, laid out. And then I was like, well, out of those 20 classes, I have only like three left. Everything else is, is structs now because structs will make so much sense. Wanted to take a quick break and make an announcement. As you may or may not know, the Learn Swift podcast is a part of the Swift Coders Network. The Swift Coders Network currently consists of Swift Coders by Garrick and Fireside Swift by Stephen Berard, henceforth known as Other Stephen, and Zach Falgu. On the last episode of Swift Coders, Garrick interviewed Brandon Williams, who was previously the mobile engineering lead at Kickstarter and currently working on launching Point Free, a weekly video series about Swift and functional programming. You can check out pointfree.co and sign up for news about their launch. I'm pretty excited for it, and I suggest you go over there and check it out. On Fireside Swift, other Steven and Zach discuss closures and what to do with them. If you want to know more about closures, I highly suggest you check out that episode. And now back to Greg. So explain your app a little bit for everybody out there because we, we, you kind of showed me. I've seen your, um, your web page, but it, it's a recipe app. Um, how, how exactly does it work and what, what, are the, what, what problem is it fixing? Well, so the, the biggest problem is like if you if, like if you're in a uh, in a couple, right, and you decide to make dinners or like just weekly shopping, 
online. So every week uh, we'll do the shopping and like I'll do it online and have it delivered. But to do a weekly shopping, you need to know what you're going to be eating that week. So like we used to write down um, plans, right? So what we're going to have for dinner each of the days um, and write them out on a paper. And then Apple released, I think it was El Capitan, and you could use the notes and share them with someone. So we started using the notes app. And then I could just drop the uh, HTML, not uh, the, the URLs in. And I was like, well, okay, that's fine enough. But what if you had an app that had a list of the recipes you like, and then you just have a calendar and you say, like in the calendar app, you said, well, on this day, I want this. And then you, you, you go, you, you select the dates, you select the recipe you want. And then you, and that was fine. That was the first sort of draft of the app. And I was like, okay, but I wanted to share this with someone. And then at the time I didn't have an Apple uh, dev membership, so I couldn't use core date um, iCloud uh, sharing. So you know where you kind of you select a container and you can, your users can use core data and in the cloud. So everything you you save is shared on all the devices. So I was Googling around and I found Firebase that it does the exact same thing, but for free. Um, so I looked into that and I started working with Firebase, implemented that and essentially now you can, it, it's, it's, it's an app where you can have a private calendar and you don't need to sign up. You don't need to create a profile for anything. It'll save it on your device through Firebase persistence. Um, and you never, it never does a, does a call outside of your phone. So that's fine. But if you have a friend or a wife or a husband or a boyfriend or whatever, and you're trying to share, to plan something ahead of time, they get the app and then you need to sign up because obviously you need to have an online profile for that. And you create a shared calendar and you can have a shared calendar for every friend you have, or you can have a, one calendar where all your friends can see or so on. And you, uh, each person can put in uh, a, a meal they like, so a recipe that they saved, and then you'll see it as well. And then you can click on the recipe, it'll take you to that website. Uh, I'm working on kind of importing it in rather than having to open a, a Safari a session. And uh, that's it. It's it's literally that. It's a when you look at it, it's a calendar with a list underneath, and then it has the day today, and then the next seven days worth of meals in the table below. And then you click on the table, and it takes you to the website. And if it's shared, it shows you show, shows you a picture of the person of the initials of the person who it's shared with, and so on. And you can even set up who's cooking that um, who's cooking that particular meal, um, in in the in the cell, so it actually tells you all the information at a glance. And I realize it mightn't be a massive problem that, that you know, the Silicon Valley is trying to fix uh, or it's not, you know, it, it's not going to disrupt the, the market. But it's a, it's a need that I had and I was figuring, well, I can learn how to build this in an app. That's that's, that's pretty cool. Um, I, I don't know that I've ever messed with. Um, I've seen recipe apps out there, but I, I want to say and I, I like I said, I, I, I'm the my recipe app space knowledge isn't very vast, but. Um, I know I've seen a few and they're more, more or less like saving your recipes, not, not more or less for like what you're thinking of. So that's pretty cool. That's a mm. pretty, pretty neat little twist on it. I have a question for the calendar. Mm -hmm. Did you implement the calendar yourself or was there something, or did you use any, um, did you use any tools for that? Cause I had tried messing around with making my own calendar in in one of my apps that I was messing with and I found it to be quite a quite a challenge because I didn't want the user to have to leave the app because I think you can use the Apple calendar app, mm -hmm. but then it, um, maybe you don't want all that stuff in your Apple calendar app, right? Like have it all cluttered up with meals and stuff like that. Exactly. Um, because I use mine typically for like work related stuff. Cause it's synced up to my exchange, um, email at work. Um, so, you know, most of the stuff that I get for that is, you know, you, do you really want to get an alert about the meal that you're going to have at six o'clock on, like, you know, for every exactly. day of the week? Um, so I'm guessing all yours is internal. What did you um, what did you do to implement the calendar? Because I found that to be quite a quite a challenge for me. Well, when I started working on it, I, I thought, well, a calendar is just a table, but well, it's, it's a table with rows and columns rather than just, you know, so I started playing with um, UI table views and then. After many failed attempts, I found out about collection views. So I started looking into that and well, okay, fair enough. But then if you think about the calendar, it's more complex because 
there's a lot of maths behind of it. There's there's 31 days one month, there's 30 another, and then if you're in America, you have the other um, date formats. You've got um, month, day, year, whereas in Europe, it's day, month, year. So it, there's a lot of programming behind it for it to work because I need to compare dates. So I, if I took it, if for example, if you had the app and I had it and we both uh, shared a calendar, your date would look completely wrong to me because you like the the first of February. I for me, your first of February would be the second of January. And right. Yeah. I yeah, got I to see, that yeah. point, and I was like, no, no, I'm done. And I went on GitHub, and I found this guy patched the code, and he has a library called JT Apple Calendar, because Apple doesn't have an, a calendar kit that you can use. They probably have one for the calendar app, but it's it's not um, open source. Yeah, I think the only thing that you're able to do with the, I, I think you can use something with the calendar. I looked into it a little bit, but it's more or less using your app to add something to your Apple yes. calendar. And yeah. that's about it. And exactly. So, uh, and there, there's this app called Yomli and they do this thing where you can plan your meals. And I, when, when they announced it, I was like, no, they stole my idea. But it, <laughs> no, it turns out they put it in your calendar. And like you said, it's useless to me because I have my work calendar there as well. And I don't want to get a reminder that I have a meeting about this. And then, oh, well, for lunch, you're having steak. Right. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, so this guy um, on GitHub, Pash the Code, he has a whole library for a, a calendar. And it's, it, it's amazing. It's a collection view, but he's put all that math, like I said, comparing dates in different, uh, the different regions and so on, and even tapping into the uh, locale on your phone to know that if you're in America, your date is going to be this. So it converts everything into Unix time, which is, you know, milliseconds from um, the 1st of January, 1970. And it's, then it compares it like that. Um, he updates this every day, so there's he works on this every day. There's always something, uh, something to be maintained. So I don't think it's going to go away soon, uh, very soon. So I, I'm confident enough in using it. And also, he's very helpful because I had a few issues with it, implementing it. Um, so you can hit him up on on Twitter or, or GitHub, and he'll get back to you, okay, um, cool. answering that. Um, yeah, but... give me a, give me a link to that uh, after after the show, and I'll drop it in the show notes because I'd like to look at that. Will do. Um, so yeah, the, using that calendar and another thing, because I was the, the original draft of the app was literally just a calendar with you know you had um, seven um, seven columns and five rows and you had a month right and then you scrolled mm -hmm. and either way and then under that you had a table. But that, see, I have an iPhone six S, uh, sorry six S plus, uh, which is the big one, and I was like, okay, on my I iPhone that is grand. Yeah. Yeah, and but I, I was like, oh, what is what what does it look like on an SE? So I went to Xcode and I put it in because the calendar was so tall, you, you could only so see the first column. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, damn it, why do they have different size devices? Um, so then I start looking into the documentation he's written for his calendar and stuff that I've never looked at. You can change from like a weekly view, so like a one row to a to a, to a monthly view. So I implemented that, and then I had this button that basically. Um, rolls up the calendar and on on uh, on rolls the recipe list list so when you when you go to the the view controller that has the calendar it's a weekly view and then a five cells in a calendar in a in a table view for the next five days but then you can press the button that gives you the whole month view and then the the list collapses to only two cells so i had an animation put into that and it's only because something that in his do documentation told me that you can do that. And then, well, you can always animate something with, you know, um, through uh, UIKit. And I started playing around with that. And this is, and when I, at the beginning, I mentioned um, auto layout. This is where my pain comes from because by doing that, it just throws everything around in iPhone 10. <laughs> so I needed to fix the logic behind that. I'm still working on it. But it's, it's I find that. Um, I think uh, one of your previous um, uh, previous podcasts, somebody mentioned that they're better when they talk with people and kind of talk these things out. That's fine for me, but I usually I need to think about a problem before I'm able to talk about it, right? So if I have a problem, I need to figure it out in my head. And if I want to talk to someone and ask about the problem, they'll start explaining it, and they'll probably start talking about something that I haven't realized yet, and then I kind of zone. I, I'm out, I kind of zone out because I I can't follow what they're saying because I don't know one particular detail that they know, and it just doesn't make sense. 
I, I yeah, I I, I definitely that definitely happens to me a bit, and uh, my wife does it every time I open my mouth about programming. You can just see yeah. her eyes just go distant. <laughs> She's like, I don't, <laughs> like this is this is like you're speaking a foreign language to me. But yeah, anytime somebody's talking about something like that, I don't understand. It's the same thing. It's like hard to follow. Have you found it a bit frustrating that you know when when you end up with nil, where you have an optional and and um, Xcode is expecting uh, a value and you end up with nil and then it throws a tantrum and crashes. But have you found annoying that when you write code and you, you put in a uh, put in a variable and Xcode gives you this helpful hint, this needs to be declared. How about you do nil? So it trips you up. I've never no. actually seen that. No, okay, not, so it, not, it just not, not, not suggesting nil anyway. Yeah. No. Well, it mightn't be nil, but like, it, you know how it comes up with the yellow triangle and gives you, mm-hmm. oh, sorry, not, a, a red dot, and yeah, it gives you a fix it. it. Yeah. yeah. And then it's, or no, the fix it does a, 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 the exclamation point. So it forces uh, unwrapping. And that's where it happens because I'll have a nil somewhere and I know that it needs to be an optional because only optionals can have nil. And then when I write the code, the Xcode says, well, this looks bad. So maybe why don't you put an exclamation point? And I do. And then it crashes for the first, for the longest time. I couldn't figure this out because literally it's Xcode trying to trip me off because whenever this happens, you need to put an ex- um, question mark rather than do a, uh, not do a force unwrap. Right, Just check yeah. that it's there. And if it is, right. then unwrap it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I would say, yeah, that's definitely a, cause when I, I know when I first started my, my code was littered with exclamation points. Now yeah. I do, you know, either optional chaining or I'll do nil coalescing or, you know, guard statements. Yeah. I, I've shied away from the if lets cause I, I would, one of the, when I first, when I finally figured out if let to unwrap optionals, I ended mm. up in that, uh, kind of the equivalent of, callback hell what they call it oh, with, pyramid uh, of doom yeah yep yeah. yep <laughs> yeah i ended up with that and i was like that just looks silly I so know. yeah so i yeah <laughs> then i found guard 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 is amazing i love guard I, that's that's one of those that's one of those i, I usually start with guard and i'm like oh well, I, this actually should have been if let <laughs> because that makes more sense in this this Content. Yeah, and I, I find that too. And because, like, you know, in in data structures, you have to have like it's not just like one uh, one piece of data. Like you'll you'll have a URL, you'll have a string, you'll have an integer, you'll have a date in the form of a double, right? So it's it's a piece of data that consists of few few numbers. And only if only one of them is nil, then you don't want to commit it to the database because then when you're calling it back, something will be missing. So for stuff like that, I used to use if lets, and then like because I had like four or five different items for each um, uh, object, I ended up with like five indentations, and it just started looking like a Christmas tree. And I was like, no, just no. And then I started, I, I discovered God lets, and then optional chaining, and I was I was grand. And from five indents, I went to a very long, you know, five dots in, a, in an optional chain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty. Yeah, optionals are, are pretty awesome in the, in that mm-hmm. respect. Once you start to once you start to understand them and the the ways that you can work with them, um, nil coalescing is something that I that I found because like sometimes like maybe like I don't I don't know in your database but maybe sometimes you want like you don't want it to fail right if it's not there you want a default value which nil yes. coalescing is awesome for that like when I when I figured that out found that and that's thanks to Paul Hudson with hacking with Swift and um his other books um, mm. made it like, you know, I'd, I'd seen nil coalescing before. I didn't really understand what it was doing or why I would want that until you come across a situation where, Oh, okay. I want, I want something to be here if it's not there. And it's, it, it could be an empty string or it could be a, like today's date, right? Like if it doesn't, like if you're using something with dates and you want to pull the date that it was created, but it's not there because you're creating it or what, for yes. whatever reason, um, it's pretty cool. Actually, I, I've never heard about this. I just Googled it and I found the article you're talking about, and I'll definitely use that. Yeah, no, yeah, no coalescing. Yeah, that that is that is an amazing um, tool to use because mm. you don't always want it to return out like with with nothing. Sometimes you might just want to inject some. Well, I don't want to say inject because I don't know if that's the right term for that particular thing. But like, mm. you might want a default value for for something and still have it complete as as you would expect if everything was there. So 
what are you working? Is there anything that you have that you're working on right now that you, that you're having difficulty with that you're that you're kind of in that eyes glaze over kind of I don't <laughs> I don't necessarily completely grasp this concept that you're currently struggling with. And I'm actually starting to consider doing uh, um, my layout in code rather than in storyboards just for that particular view because I think it'll be easier. So I started reading up about how doing it because uh, how to be doing it because uh, storyboards are relatively new. Um, they've only been added a few years ago. So you had Xcode and all the layouts needed to be done through code. If you um, find any, if you have any good resources for that, because I've, I've done a little programmatic um, code uh, layout uh, myself. Yeah only through tutorials though. And I feel like that I, I don't completely understand the right place to put everything. You know what I mean? Like, should this really be going here? So if you have any good resources for that, let me know. Cause I'd like to, mm-hmm. I'd like to take a look at that because I, I, I've, I've, I've had some similar issues and I think storyboards are great, but I would, I would prefer to, um, I, I feel like it's easier to manipulate code than it is to manipulate the interface in some instances especially when you're messing with constraints and like it doesn't always refresh right and you know stuff like that you know you could spend hours and and interface builder and not really get a whole lot done because you're fighting with um interface builder more than your more than anything else so if you find anything let me know or if, if what you're using right now is good let me know I, I will. So right now I'm kind of doing it very um, shyly. So there's only a few things I changed. But if you, if you looked at my storyboard now, and if you looked at it three months ago, three months ago in the storyboard, it looked perfect. This is what the end product would look like. But now it's all sort of stretched and, and all, all over the place because the storyboard doesn't hold all the information. It's all in code. So all my buttons are very stretched because I don't care about the aspect or, or so on doing it through the storyboard. I'll do it in code at launch. Okay. Um, now, I, I read a bit about it, and I don't think I'm ready to put everything in the code, but at least the problematic stuff like uh, handling the resizing and, and uh, attaching the different um, constraints, because in some instances, I think I still need to put constraints in, forced, uh, not um, hard-coded constraints. So, you know, what? it's when you kind of say that the width must be this and the height must be this and it can't change. Um, so I'm I'm doing that and, and working around with that. So just recently, I kind of figured out how to query in the app, how to query the current size of something. And I'm trying to figure out the mathematical way of depending on the device you are. So I'll know what device you are on based on the width of it. And then based on this, I can mathematically draw out everything else because it has to be in a ratio to this particular constraint. Right. Have you have you looked at size classes at all? Uh, yes, and I hate them with a okay. fiery, fiery passion. <laughs> I've only I've only dabbled in them. I haven't really messed with them a whole lot. Um, well, hey Greg, we're starting to run run a little low on time. Is there anything uh, Is there anything that you want to discuss before we sign off? Well, um, one of the things that I've heard. Um, people mentioned on, on uh, uh, previous uh, podcasts was um, for I think it was Victoria who said that she's, she's good with the graphics and everything. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you have the same problem. I suck at UX and UI. So I can do the code and I'll do the sort of blocky design with, you know, sharp edges and all that. Mm-hmm. And it's fine. But then it doesn't look good. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not very good with it <laughs> at all. Um, so like I, I, I was looking at, you know, going to dribble and so on and looking over people's design. Oh my God, they look amazing. Yeah, I don't yeah. even know how to do a gradient and, you know, you know, and I probably do it in, in the Apple equivalent of MS paint or something. Right. Yeah. You know, um, there is something called paint code. I, I bought it. I haven't used it as much as I, I probably should have. Cause like you said, I don't focus on the UX and the UI first mm-hmm. you know because that's not my strong suit if i wanted to do that i'd probably you know be an aspiring ui and ux designer not a exactly not a iOS developer but paint code is a pretty cool tool that uh you can it, it's think of it like interface builder mm-hmm. but for designs and it takes like your visual um work so say you can you can have like a make like an icon or any kind of graphical element 
and then it'll turn it into code. It'll spit out the code for you that you can drop into your project, and then you can tweak it with that code. Okay. So that that's a that's a pretty cool thing. You can um, use it to make to help with animations. Like I think I think I had found out about paint code through the Dev Slopes course, and I think Johnny B was one of the instructors that uh, is on some of those videos. And he went through a quick little paint code tutorial on how to make like a progress bar. And he kind of went through and like um, just made like the simple uh, long rounded rectangle and then mm-hmm. how to get the and then he put a slider beneath it. And, you know, you could work when you move the slider, it moved the progress of it based on, you know, where your slider was just to show you like how when the value changes, how you can make it go fill in further and it was pretty cool so and i I turned around and bought paint code um haven't really used it too much um but as far as being able to try and bridge bridge that um Mm. that probably would help a bit because tweaking it in a design interface like you could kind of get what you want right overall probably Mm -hmm. but then you know, you can, you can tweak it more in code. Like you can mess with the RGB values or something like that. Yeah. Um, so that, that's the biggest challenge, like in this whole swift learning experience, because, you know, doing code by the end of the day, you, you'll figure it out or you give up and not do it at all. But like there isn't, you know, there isn't a, really a wrong way to do it because if it works, it might be the prettiest, the most, uh, um, most elegant way of doing something, mm-hmm. but it, you'll make it work. But you can't do that with UI. Like it, it can't right. be a half, you know, half baked product. And right. I find that because I'm really not artistic at all in terms of, you know, drawing and so on, like stuff mm-hmm. like that. I find it very hard. So um, I've, you know, I went on Dribble and Pinterest, kind of got some ideas. And and the hardest thing was for me to figure out what colors to use because they needed to work together. So once I figured that out, I have some colors implemented, have palettes. And then the app icon, for example, I, I read so many different medium posts and Reddit posts how to do the app icon. I mm-hmm. can't draw at all. Right. So I ended up going to Fiverr.com and just uh, getting a freelancer doing it for literally, I think it was eight euro. And I got the PSD file and everything. And they mm-hmm. took input from me and they did what I wanted. Mm-hmm. So this is what I find sort of the hardest because everything else I can figure out on my own. But the stuff that I can't learn how to do, you really need to reach out for help. And I find it very, like your podcast uh, and, and all, all the other uh, podcasts I listen to, people mention things like you just did with the paint code. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can try that or I can find someone who knows how to do it and I can ask them if they can help. Um, th- th- that's, I think, the biggest challenge to kind of accept this and, and, and move on and kind of focus on the things that you're good at. So coding. Right but not drawing icons and all the different size versions. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, I had, and granted my, the icon that I had made for this, for the app that I was, that I was very close to trying to release, but then just kind of decided not to. Um, do you, have you ever used sketch at all? Yes. Okay. I actually bought that. Okay. Yeah. 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 So there's a sketch plugin. Uh-huh. That I, I don't. You may have used it, but it'll like you just uh, if you give it like whatever your 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 whatever artboard that you have um, uh-huh. your your graphic file in. Um, in this case, to be your icon, it'll auto generate all the different sizes that you need. Mm, I uh, so I before that I was looking how to do this and I wrote an uh, Automator script. I don't know if you use Automator on your Mac, but no, I haven't. It's it's a scripting tool, so it's mm-hmm. a graphical way of writing a script. So I threw the icon in, and I said, "This is what it mentions." And it took me about half a day to do, but now I use that. Mm-hmm. But in the meantime, I bought Sketch because what I wanted to do is for the website, because that's a whole other thing of of uh, app development. I needed to have a website where I can put my uh, privacy policy on because that's an Apple requirement. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah! I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. I, haven't, I haven't made it that far, so <laughs> there we go. I never, I, I never got that far either. But I, I read it somewhere. And said, oh well, I get it done. So I don't, I did it. So I got sketch for that because for the website I wanted some fancy graphics and and uh, and stuff like that. And then yeah. I found out that they have this plugin. So now, now I use this. Um, okay. <laughs> but there, there's a lot of resources. You just need to spend time looking for them, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I think that's that. That's that's uh, definitely a, something you gotta do. Well, Greg, uh, we are we are out of time now. Um, 
if people want to get a hold of you, how can they reach you? Uh, well, boy with axe on Twitter. Um, okay. I will change my website URL there because my previous domain registrar didn't allow doing something. So I was like, no, and I went with uh, WordPress. But the app address is going to be the same. So it's um, apparmory.com. Okay. And uh, yeah. So once once I've uh, updated, I'll send you on the details that you've asked as well. And we can uh, stay in touch. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks for being on the show, Greg. Uh, thanks for having me. And that concludes this episode of the Learn Swift podcast. I hope our discussion left you feeling inspired and that you're not alone. If you enjoyed the show, please consider telling a friend, recommending the show on Overcast, or leaving a review on iTunes. If you just want to say hello, you can reach me on Twitter at Stephen underscore 0351. Thanks, and see you next time.